a welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. Grading week is leaking into this week a little bit. We'll do some coaching today, talk about the coaches, both you know Mike Babcock and the Shelly Kiefer. And then tomorrow, we've got to get to the GM and the prospects. And we're going to have Dauber Prospects' very own Tony Ferrari joining us for that one so he'll be able to tell us exactly what's going on with all the least prospects and 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 you know who we can expect to, to be a good one you know who are some kind of borderline prospects but who most likely are we going to be able to get excited about so that'll be tomorrow but today we're going to grade both the Babcock era and the key fair of the Maple Leafs this year there's a lot of off-season buzz going on on some specific trade targets and a specific assistant coach that the Leafs could be looking to acquire. So we'll get into those rumors a little bit later. But for now, let's get right into it. Let's get to the coach grading, and let's start at the beginning with Babs. So Mike Babcock versus Sheldon Keith. These were two totally different NHL teams. You could totally, you know, from from you know the way they looked on the ice to to you know the production based on the stats to where they ended up, right? So the Babcock, he got an F for me. Mike Babcock certainly was uh, his tenure with the Leafs this season. You know, the short tenure that he had. He had what nine, uh, 23 games. Yeah, failure absolute failure through those 23 games the team was 9 10 and 4 and had and was in 25th place based on win percentage 25th place for a team that going into the season we were talking about how they're definitely going well they're 100% playoff team which well, I guess technically they didn't end up being either, but that's besides the point. Uh, but definitely a playoff team, if not maybe even cup contenders if everything goes right. Nothing went right, especially under Babcock. Um, tough, tough first year for for this guy. Uh, you know, you you think back to to opening night with Spetsagate and. I've talked about it numerous times, the fact that he needed to puff his chest out and try and show that this is his roster and and his team and he's going to do it his way. And by doing so, you know, he scratches Jason Spezza, a Toronto kid who grew up here and came here on a league minimum veteran contract uh, to help this team who he thought could be a contender. He scratches him on opening night in his first home game at the Scotiabank Arena against his former team, the Ottawa Senators. Like, how brain-dead could you be? Friends and family in the building getting set to watch Jason Spezza play in a Maple Leafs uniform, something that I'm sure he wanted to do and that his family and friends were looking forward to seeing since the moment he stepped down the ice as, like, a a four-year-old. Like, growing up in the GTA, I, I could tell you, first and foremost, you know, how many of my friends have grown up, you know, idolizing these te- these players and wanting to wear that jersey, that sweater, and then you finally get the opportunity to do it on opening night in front of all your friends and family, and he takes that opportunity away from you. So that was kind of, you know, the first domino uh, to fall here for him this season was, was kind of that, and then it really just kind of started falling from there. You know, the team just wasn't really playing well. He ended up losing the the room. He refused to play Tyson Berry on the on, on PP1, which is, you know, something that he was, that was his bread and butter when he was out in Colorado. A big reason why he was putting up the points that he was putting up, a big reason why he was brought in was to try and help 
um, you know, with this team offensively and on the power play, and it was struggling mightily, and he refused to make that switch, and he kind of, when he finally did make it, it was just a little too late um, for him to, to save his job, but you know, refusing to, 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 to do that, considering that he was an, an absolute stalwart on Colorado's power play, refusing to play his horse's big minutes, yet he's willing to give Cody Cece 23 minutes a game. I get it, defenseman Fords, obviously they're going to play more, but, you know, you look comparatively to what Sheldon Keefe was playing, Austin Matthews, Matthews playing just uh, 19.50 a game is what he was averaging with Mike Babcock, and then you take a look at what he was averaging um what he was averaging with Kintley over that. Ups waiting for this stupid thing to load for me. <laughs> but yeah, she, he was playing ex- like yeah, up over almost twenty-two minutes a game. So the guy was playing an extra two, two and a half minutes per game um, under Sheldon Keefe. It was for Babcock, and like he's your best player. And there's always been bad blood and a little bit of tension between Babcock and. Um, Austin Matthews and like the fact that he refused to play him over 20 minutes uh, and he just wanted to try and and because I don't know he wanted to roll four lines or try to at least whatever he was trying to do it clearly did not work let's take a look at what the numbers showed us so a record 9 10 and 4 20th in the league with a 478 uh, winning percentage which was 25th in the league at the time of his firing Power play, 17.6%, 18th in the league. That's not very good. 18th for that power play. Penalty kill, 73.1%, 27th in the league. Now, when Babcock was was uh, was here, I believe that was that was well before Zach Hyman came back, who is the team's best penalty killer. So I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that you did not have your best penalty killer uh, in Zach Hyman. So we'll we'll I don't want to give it a wash because still you you should still be able to put together uh, you know a foursome of forwards out there that you believe can still go out there and kill penalties. You know, on a team that you consider to be, if not a cup contender, or if not a playoff contender, maybe even a cup contender. And, you know, Zach Hyman shouldn't be the be all and end all of this team's penalty kill. But, eh, I mean, I guess Babcock was. Uh, was a little too reliant on him. And when he missed the first six weeks of the season, which happened to be pretty much the lifespan of Babcock's tenure with the Leafs this year, yeah, he he struggled there uh, a little bit. Um, a minus six in goal differential this this uh, the first 23 games. So that was a big issue. You know, when I spoke the other day about how Freddie Anderson um, just couldn't really get it going, for, uh, for much of this season, um, struggling, keeping the puck out of the net. Obviously, that's not all on Freddie Anderson. You know, he's got guys up front that clearly need to do a better job uh, boxing out and, and taking away some high danger chances because, you know, Freddie Anderson had to face the sixth most high danger sixth most high danger shots um, in the entire NHL this year. So obviously that's a whole defensive thing that that they need to uh, that that they needed to accomplish. But you know, still you you think of Mike Babcock and you think about what he preaches and he preaches defense first. Well for a team that preaches defense first and the reason why he didn't want to have, you know, Marner and, and Tavares and, and Matthews all out there playing twenty minutes a game was because, you know, they weren't too bought in defensively. The reason why Jason Spezza had to sit game one of the season was because he didn't buy in on the PK. You know, he had some things that he needed to learn uh, playing in his own zone. Yeah, 
guy who's played how many years, and, and he wasn't even on your penalty kill anyways. So it just made no sense, uh, a lot of what he said. But a guy who preaches defense first, yet you're allowing 33.3 shots against per game, which is the 23rd most shots in the entire league. So... It just really, it was it was a, a combination of things here with Babcock this year. The fact that the roster that was put in place, the roster he had to work with, everybody saw it. It just didn't mesh with what his style was, and he was unwilling to adapt. I think that was the biggest issue that Babcock had. His unwillingness to, unwillingness to adapt and the fact that um, he's just so stubborn in his ways and the way that he thinks the game should be played. He coaches the way that he wants to coach, and he was just not willing to 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 listen to anybody. He was not willing to change his lineups. He was not willing to be innovative or creative or or um, you know modern. It was just Babcock being Babcock, and well, it only lasted 23 games, and then Kyle Dubas had enough. And uh, after 23 games with that roster, the fact that you have a under 500 record, yeah, that's going to cost you your job, and, and and it did. And and then even after that, it came out. You heard about that Marner rumor about back when back in Marner's rookie season. You know, he's talking to Babcock, and he comes up to him on a team flight, and he says, "From most hardest working to least hardest working, rank your teammates." What? Are you kidding? Like, I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was a, a, a big story right after Babcock got fired. This came public, and it had happened a while before this, but it was, you know, it was still part of the bully culture. Um, it was kind of around Don Cherry and, um, uh, you know, a couple other coaches who, who got in trouble for some stuff uh, that they had done in the past. And and Mike Babcock wasn't able to uh, to hide from that one, from from that comments that he made to, to Marner. And that came to light. I can't remember who broke the story, but I do remember when we heard about it, a lot of beat reporters who've been around for a while was like, yeah, I do remember hearing about that happening when it happened. And it kind of went away, but nobody was able to corroborate the story and nobody wanted to talk about it. Um, and then afterwards, uh, it came out. And I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, Marner said, yeah, I mean, it happened. Uh, we moved on from it. Ball, and, you know, tried to be professionals. And him and Mike had a good relationship from there on out. But, you know, just stuff like that. Um, Babcock did, uh, you know, he did wonders for this team. Uh, he was the good option at the time back in 2016 um, when they originally signed him to be to be their coach. Um, 2015, 16, 15, 16, I think. Um, you know, he was the right option. They stole him from Buffalo, and he got them. Um, he instilled, uh, you know, a work ethic in them. He he put this along with Brendan Shanahan and, and Lou Lamorello, uh, and and you know, Dubis obviously was a big part of that too. They put this 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 failing organization. And they kind of turned it around and got it going the right way. But it just seemed like uh, Babcock, when when it was time to ramp things up and and kind of alter uh, alter the direction of the ship a little bit, he was unwilling to do so. Once uh, once Kyle became officially the top guy, and it, you know the team suffered from it. 
Um, and Babcock suffered from it. So us as fans had to suffer from it with a couple of uh, first-round eliminations, and this year technically not even making it through the qualifying round. So uh, that wasn't due to Babcock. Obviously, Keefe was was the guy there. But, you know, uh, Babcock, that was an f- absolute failure of a season. You know, he lost the room. He lost the fan base. He lost the media. And uh, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of people who were – too upset when Babs got fired, and uh, the Messiah, the chosen one, the hand-picked Sheldon Keefe, ended up uh, becoming the the coach in waiting for many years, and then finally was able to take over the reins. So we'll take a quick break, and then when we return, let's chat about Sheldon Keefe's first season at the helm as the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. All right, y'all, welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast. I'm Mike DiStefano. Uh, so once again, please, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast so you can get it each and every day. Uh, I'll try, I try to do each and every day. Um, you'll get uh, anywhere from three to five podcasts uh, each week. I strive for five, but I'm a busy man, but I strive for five. Uh, So today what we're doing is continuing our grading week. If you missed it last week, we started it. We did the top six. We did the bottom six. We did the defenseman. We did the goaltending. Today we're doing the coaching. Tomorrow we're going to continue. We're going to do the GM, and then we're also going to do the prospects. Uh, But, you know, we just went through, talked about Mike Babcock's tumultuous season, um, which wasn't even a season. It was 23 games, and it just seemed like so much more, and it was this uh, is just an awful first month and a half of the season for the Maple Leafs team. Um, but then it kind of all changed. Uh, so Sheldon Keefe takes over as the as the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the most historic NHL franchise uh, in history. And Keefe becomes the guy, you know, first-time head coach coming to coach in Toronto. There was a lot of people who weren't sure if he was going to be able to do it. I know that Kyle Dubas... Uh, you know, I handpicked him, and, and for a while now, it was always assumed that Sheldon Keefe was eventually um, going to end up being the coach here in Toronto, if not as an, as an assistant. Certainly, um, you know, he was going to take over Mike Babcock at some point. I think it came a little bit sooner than people expected. Uh, maybe not as much once the year got going, but I think if you would have told me back in, oh, I don't know, August, like this time last year, that, you know, Sheldon Keefe would be the NHL head coach before Christmas, I would have told you that you know you you're off your rocker but it happened and uh, luckily it did because that team with Babcock was going nowhere fast and Keefe was able to turn things around um, so the record under Sheldon Keefe was 27 15 and 5 uh, with a 628 winning percentage good for eighth in the league so from Keefe's from when Keefe took over uh, which is about November 19th or 20th um, Keefe onward uh, the Maple Leafs were the eighth best team in the NHL. So pretty good. And I think that's that's roughly where I would slot them, to be quite honest with you. You know, anywhere, you know, in that, you know, eight to eight to eleven, eight to twelve, right around hovering around a top ten team in the NHL. Because I do believe that that's that's where they are. They've got some exceptional talent um, up front, like super, super exceptional. You know, their their top six is is arguably uh, among the top five, if not top three in the league when you combine Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and Nylander, um, you know, it'd be hard-pressed to find a foursome that's that's quite that good, but it, it gets thin after that and even on the back end. So I think eighth is pretty much about where they need to go. So, you know, Sheldon Keefe got the performing 
up to their standards, which is something that Babcock obviously didn't do when he lost to Room. You know, Keith, everything kind of started out really good with him. He got that big first win in the first game against Arizona. Tyson Berry scored his first goal under Sheldon Keith after scoring zero in the first uh, 23 games under under Babcock. And, and that was really upsetting because he was a guy who came in, they gave up Kadri, and he just wasn't doing anything offensively. He had seven assists through the first few games under Babcock and really took off um, under Sheldon Keefe. So a lot of players ended up really taking off when Sheldon Keefe took over. So that was something, too, that I thought that was really, really important when you look at the turnaround that this team did. Um, you know, Tyson Berry, uh, another thing, he in Colorado, I remember, if you remember, it was the first couple of games that Keefe was, was with this team. I think it was maybe game two or game three. But Barry, his first game back, he ends up starting on the uh, starting lineup alongside Morgan Riley, and that was just so that Barry could start the game in his you know against his former team. Nick Shore also ended up getting the start that game. He was a fourth liner. I uh, don't know if you remember him, but he played like a handful of games this season and ended up getting one start, and that was in this game. And that's because he's a hometown kid from Colorado. So it was just something that Sheldon Keefe um, did once he got here was was. You know, he he was being a human, right? Like you got a guy like Babcock who's sitting guys, you know, veterans who've earned the right to play on opening night like Jason Spezza in his hometown against his former team. And then you got guys like Sheldon Keefe who's giving uh, Nick Shore an opportunity to play against, uh, uh, to start a game in his hometown, Colorado. He did not have to do that. Like, Shore didn't even, like, odds are he wasn't even going to play that game at all if, if Babcock was at the helm. You know, and that was just the the nice little little things that Keefe did to kind of win over the fan base, win over that locker room. And you could tell afterwards they really played hard for him. You know, the first few games uh, I kept saying to myself, I'm like, you know what, I, I, I kind of feel bad for Babcock because there's no way that within – like three or four days that Sheldon Keefe has had a chance to instill his his mindset, instill his gameplay, um, you know, the way that he wants to play and, um, you know, his systems and schemes is, is the word I was looking for. There's no way that within four days he's put in his systems and schemes to the point where this team has done a complete 180 and they look like a playoff team. They look like a top 10 team. They look like playoff and even cup contenders for that little bit. And uh, it, it was, you know, I kind of felt a little bit bad for Babcock because I was like, man, they had it in them the whole time, but he just lost the room and they just didn't want to play for him. It was almost like they were playing to get him fired. Like that was a big rumor, if you recall, that was going on around, you know, the beginning of November when they were just losing games left, right, and center and getting blown out. You remember that blowout in Pittsburgh where it was like 6-1 or 7-1 or something like that? And, um, yeah, it was it was just a really, really bizarre time in, in Maple Leaf land. And Sheldon Keefe kind of steered the ship and got things back going in the right direction. You know, let's take a look uh, a little deeper into the stats. Uh, Sheldon Keefe really improved that power play. So under Babcock, you know, 17.6% power play. Under Keefe, 
26.5% good for second in the league behind just the Edmonton Oilers. So, you know, he really, really improved that power play, and they really got going, um, putting Tyson Berry up on the number one unit, too. Although, if you look at the stats, it may not reflect, um, you know, because he didn't score too many goals. If he had five goals, uh, four of them coming um, on the man advantage, or only one of them, sorry, coming on the man advantage uh, once he became part of it. But, you know, I, I just, to me, there's a huge 180 with the way that this team played. They started playing with heart. They started playing with hustle, character, kind of all the stuff that, <laughs> that Babcock preached that he wanted. But Keith was able to, you know, elicit that from this team and get them going, get them doing it. You know, the penalty kill, 80.9% up from the 73% from, from the Babcock days. Uh, a plus 22 in gold differential. You know, I, I just, th- this team under Keefe took a big, big 180 and really started to play the game. The the leaps that Austin Matthews took this season under the tutelage of Sheldon Keefe. Now, I don't know if it was just because it was Keefe or something went off in his head and he finally matured and and decided, okay, I'm going to start playing some big boy hockey and become a premier two-way player. Um, if that was going to happen regardless, maybe, but it kind of coincided with the the uh, the introduction to Sheldon Keefe to the Maple Leafs bench. So I, I, as of now, I can look at and say that he must have had a handle at it, you know, playing him, showing confidence in him and allowing him to play 22 minutes a night. Um, and giving him the opportunity to go out there and and make something happen on any given shift probably went a long ways, and and he almost became a Rocket Richard winner because of it. You know, Mitch Marner uh, also 49 points in 41 games under Sheldon Keefe. So this guy ended up going out and playing, um, you know, over a point-per-game average under under Sheldon Keefe. So offensively, this team is clicking. They're they're really, really going. And, you know, defensively, I, I, I wouldn't say that they really changed that much. At the end of the day, you, you can only do what you can do with that back end, right? Like they don't have any absolute studs um, to, to kind of keep the puck out of the net or help box out people out so that you know freddie wasn't forced to make 33 saves a game it did go down a little bit you know you take a look at the shots against per game um went down from 23rd in the league to to 15th from 30 33.3 shots against to 31.2 shots against so just a little bit um a little bit lower in in that regard but at the end of the day you know the team just bought in you know, they bought in uh, significantly, and a lot of guys just took a big step, right? Like Barry. As much as you talk about how much of the Tyson Barry trade was a fail, if you look at what this team did, it, it, you know, Barry, an, another guy, if you look at what he did once Sheldon Keefe came into, um, came onto the team, you know, it's a little more, it's a little easier to stomach. Like, to be quite honest with you, like Tyson Berry was averaging, uh, so 22 minutes a game, and he had 32 points in 47 games. So five goals, 27 assists for 32 points um, under Sheldon Keefe. So 32 of his 39 
came once Keefe took over. So, you know, he had a big turnaround. Kasperi Kapitan had a big turnaround. His game really took a next uh, a big step up defensively, which is funny because I feel like that was something that, again, Babcock wanted somebody to, to pop off and kind of, you know, turn one of those uh, skilled forwards into a Zach Hyman grinder type player. And I think that was actually what Babcock was trying to do with Kapitan early on in the season when he, when he you know, when Kapitan was or when Hyman was injured and he put him on a wing with Tavares and with with Mitch Marner. And he just for some reason, it just didn't get through to him and he wasn't able to do it. You know, you fast forward. Now you look at him. Kapitan's turned out to be a pretty solid uh, two way rugged winger, right? Kasperi scrapping him was out there. He was banging the body, you know, getting hits. Uh, He was going out there, blocking shots, uh, utilizing his speed on the forecheck, on the back check, um, you know, playing, playing pretty well on the penalty kill. You know, I thought Kapanen really took a big step in his game. Um, May not have been as much of a force offensively as maybe you thought he would become, but that's okay because, I think that for the Maple Leafs, they need a guy who maybe plays a little bit better of a two-way game. So I'm excited uh, about the outcome um, of what happened during the regular season under Sheldon Keefe and how much better that this team played. And going forward, I think that this team is in a, is a, is in a much better position with Sheldon Keefe than they would have been with Mike Babcock, right? So, you know, they finally have uh, the the coach that can kind of deploy his guys the way that they're meant to be deployed. And, you know, I think that the system and the and the coaches and the GM, you know, everything kind of matches now. They still got some tinkering to do. Don't get me wrong. I think what we learned in the playoffs especially is that this team isn't perfect and there's stuff that, that they need to clean up, stuff that they need to change, um, and not everything could be so, you know, um, you know, gung-ho, pedal to the metal, speed, skill all the time. There's going to be times where, you know, teams are just going to break down and play a slow-burning defensive game, real tight game, and you got to be able to break it down. you got to be able to, to keep up with them in that regard, and I think this offseason we might see some changes uh where the bottom bottom of that lineup and maybe even on the back end might get a little bit of a little bit of size to to help him out uh, Kyle Clifford helped him out a little bit but when you got guys like Jason Spezza dropping the mitts you know that's that's not what you want which means you need to have some other guys who are willing to to do it as well and Kapanen might be one of those players going forward or he may be involved in a trade that ends up uh, where he could end up uh, elsewhere. And I might talk about that uh, in just a moment. But uh, all in all, um, the regular season, at least, for Sheldon Keefe, I, I'm giving him an A-. minus. But because of kind of the struggles that he had a little bit in the playoffs, uh, his inexperience kind of showed a little bit, especially in Game 5, I thought that, uh, you know, not able to wake his team up. And, and the fact that he really started that game um, just, you know, started the big boys on one line and then started Nylander in center in the middle, I just thought was not a smart decision. A, you're coming off a big win. You've got momentum. Why are you tinkering with your lineup? Also taking out Nick Robertson to put in uh, Andreas Janssen. That also happened in that game. You know, so why are you tinkering with your lineup right now in a do-or-die game five? You know, Nylander hadn't played center in, in, in basically a year, 
and now you're going to ask him to do it in an important playoff matchup uh, where they've really stymied that offense. So I thought that was not a good decision um, whatsoever, and, and at the end of the day, it was pretty costly for this team, which kind of ended their season a little bit abruptly and prematurely. Uh, well, I guess technically not, because it was still in the middle of August, so realistically their season would have been over by then. But you get my drift, uh, unable to make a playoff berth technically, which... Um, you know, knocks that down, that, that A down a little bit to me. And uh, there's a couple of moments as well where I thought that, you know, he could have done a little bit better job, um, you know, trying to get away from matchups, um, trying to match up a little bit better. Uh, so just the inexperience in the playoffs um, knocked him down from from the A- minus that I thought that he had in the regular season down to a B plus. But I think a B plus still a great grade for, uh, for Sheldon Keefe. Okay, really quickly, before we take a break, I do want to talk about, um, you know, speaking of Sheldon Keefe, there is a opening on his staff. Now, we chatted about this before. Paul McFarlane leaving to be a head coach of uh, the OHL's Kingston Frontenacs, and there was discussions not too long ago, and a rumor started about how Bruce Boudreaux, what if what if he came here, you know? No one had talked to Boudreaux at the time, and, and it was more of a pipe dream, like, what if he ended up wanting to come to Toronto? He's a big Toronto fanboy, lived there, born here, played here, drafted here, all the nines. He's done everything except coach here. And for a Toronto boy, kind of like Jason Spezza, you know, a lot, and John Tavares, a lot of these kids want to at some point work for the Maple Leafs organization. And if Boudreaux doesn't end up with a head coaching job uh, anytime soon, maybe he'd be willing to accept uh, a coaching position as an assistant on Sheldon Keefe's bench. And interestingly enough, in the Toronto Star today, Kevin McGran, uh, reporter and journalist at the Star, it, it got in contact with Bruce Boudreau and wrote a wrote a quick story and asked him just those questions. And this is a, a quote from Bruce Boudreau in that story um, when asked if you know he had interest in playing for the Maple Leafs. And he said, quote, I understand they've asked for permission, but nobody's talked to me yet, Bruce Boudreau told the Star in a phone interview today. I mean, I think the idea is cool. The biggest part of it, I just want to be involved in hockey and coaching in the NHL again next year. My goal is to become a head coach, but the idea of being an assistant in Toronto is really intriguing. But that's just because or that's because it's Toronto. So pretty much, um, end quote. So pretty much, you know, what he's saying is, you know, I'm, I'm not really open to being an assistant, but like, you know, Toronto, it's... I'd be willing to do it if it was Toronto. Like Toronto is the only team that I'd be willing to take a bit of a pay cut. Uh, take a maybe not a pay cut because I think he still has to get paid um, what he's owed in Minnesota. But you know, a demotion of sorts, I guess, from being a, a longtime NHL head coach. Like this guy has been on the bench every single season since 07-08. Um, and, you know, one of Jack Adams. He's won what one, two, three, four, uh, eight, eight time division winner. Um, wow, eight division winners. Holy crap. Uh, that's, that's a lot. Uh, he's made what two. Yeah. He's gone to a conference final tool or, uh, yeah. Conference final twice. He's made the playoffs eight times. Nope. 10 times. He's made the playoffs 10 times. Yeah. 
10 times as a, as a, as a coach. So, you know, this is a guy with a lot of experience at the end of the day. He's got a lot of experience in the NHL and nearly a thousand games as a head coach on the bench. Um, I think that you take a, a young pup like, like uh, Sheldon Keefe, you give him the experience in Dave Hackstall, you give him the experience of Bruce Boudreaux, allow him to pick his brain. I think that could only help this team if he's if, if Boudreaux's open to it. And he says he's open to it. And apparently, they've asked permission, right? So if the Leafs have asked permission from the Minnesota Wild, whether or not, you know, hey, like, do you, can we talk to him? <laughs> like... I think that's fantastic. And that would be amazing if Bruce Boudreaux ended up on the bench uh, here for Toronto um, and, and that ends up being the bench going to next season. You know, you got uh, Jalen Keefe, Bruce Boudreaux, and Dave Hackstall. I think you're looking pretty good uh, if that ends up being the case. The only other thing is everyone kind of talked about like, ah, but Sheldon may want to pick his own guy and, and maybe Boudreaux isn't that because, you know, maybe he knows that Boudreaux is going to be kind of looking over his shoulder and maybe want to try and have uh, his own say a little bit here and there, you know. But uh, it should be it should be an interesting storyline to keep an eye on over the next little bit. All right, one other thing that we got to chat about before I let you guys go today. Uh, there's been a, you know, there's been some trade fodder that's been going around. Obviously, the NHL uh, playoffs are still going on, but the Leafs, after being eliminated, without doubt, uh, you knew that there was going to be some chatter about how this team needs to blow it up and they need to change things and get things uh, going the right direction, get some new players, some new blood. So everyone's getting traded away. They're bringing in new players. And uh, there's one name specifically that sticks out that I think is starting to garner quite a bit of buzz. And I'm starting to think kind of, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, And that name is Adam Larson of the Edmonton Oilers. And this isn't the first time that Larson's kind of been linked to Toronto. I think he's been linked a couple of times now. Uh, You think about him, he's pretty much exactly what Toronto wants. He checks all the boxes. You know, he's uh, a big right-hand shot defenseman, 6'3", 210 pounds. He could defend the net pretty adequately, block shots, eats minutes, kills penalties. He's pretty much what Mike Babcock wanted Cody Ceci to be, but he's actually a good hockey player who can play in your top four um, and is actually a top four defenseman. Uh, he's got four, what is it, $4.16 million contract, uh, 5.05 in actual dollars. And as we all know, that does not matter for the Maple Leafs. They will pay whatever actual dollars. The only thing that counts is that cap hit. And, uh, you know, at 4.16, that's very reasonable. You know, there's a couple of contracts out there that you could send out uh, to Edmonton for Larson. That would pretty much cancel out the 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 cap there, right? Like, a name that keeps getting brought up, two names actually, either Kasperi Kapanen or Andreas Janssen. So, yeah, either way, I think you're probably going to have to add a little bit to to each of those guys. Um, obviously, I think I would rather keep Kasperi Kapanen, but uh, unfortunately, you know, as the old saying goes, you got to give to get. And, um, you know, Kapanen might be a guy with his speed, with the way that he took a big step this season. And he's got a pretty reasonable contract. You know, a few more seasons at just a, just a hair over $3 million. 
Uh, I think it's what 3.25 for the next three years. That could be an attractive piece for the Edmonton Oilers, who are desperately looking for some help on the wing. And I think Kapanen could be a good player for them, and and really suit what they're trying to do. Uh, you know, I think that could that could help, and and that works for us. Wanted to bring in, you know, a good uh, defensive-minded right-shot defenseman who could play in the top four, and and pretty much play alongside uh, either Jake Muzzin or Morgan Riley, probably set him beside Morgan Riley and then have Muzzin and Hull be that pairing. Um, he is heading into a contract year as well. So you can look at that in one of two ways. You either can look at it as, ah, it's a contract year. I don't know. Do you want to sign a guy who doesn't have term? You know, what if he ends up walking after a year? I mean, who cares? And I say, well, you know, you say that, but I think the same conversation was had last year with Tyson Berry about trading Wayne Nazim Kadri. And now look how that looks. Okay. Okay. I can I can I can understand the skepticism there, but I I don't think that Kapanen or Janssen or you know one of those players depending on who it depends on who gets traded that is um, will end up having the season that Kadri's having or the playoffs that Kadri's having, and I just don't think that uh, I think that especially if it's a guy like Janssen who still is a very a very good player. Don't get me wrong, I think he could play in the NHL. Um, within a middle six role, depending on on the team, and Edmonton might be a team where he can do that. Uh, and and if it ends up being Kapanen, I don't want to lose him, but I'd be willing to to bring in a guy like Larson. Uh, it's just I'm not as scared to to make that deal. And then if we don't resign Larson, if the Leafs decide to let him go or it doesn't work. You know, I'm willing to eat it, and and that if that means that you know you no longer have Captain or Janssen in your organization going forward, and only end up getting that one year out of Larson, I think that'd be worth the worth the risk for me. Um, you know, guys going to contract years, that means that he's probably going to want to play really well to get, you know, paid at some point for Larson. And you know what, with the cap being flat, if he can actually find out a way to get you know, three, three and a half million dollars off your books going forward over the next couple of seasons, that may actually be a little bit of a bonus if that does in fact happen. So just some food for thought. But Adam Larson is an interesting name to to keep an eye on out there for uh, for Leafs Nation, for Leaf fans. When you're looking through and trying to do all your GMing that you're, you know, on, on HF boards or the Toronto Maple Leafs message boards, you see, you know, be a GM, armchair GMing. Um, I see a lot of people talking about Adam Larson right now, and I think it's got some legs, and I wouldn't, uh, I, I would be interested and intrigued uh, depending on what the price is, but I can't see it being that high. He really hasn't done that well in, in Edmonton. Um, you know, he's fallen out of favor there. Uh, Kenny Holland was not around when he brought him in for Taylor Hall. So he doesn't have that connection where he can, you know, legitimately put like, Oh, Taylor Hall now as a trade tree, it's Hall for Janssen or Hall for Kapanen. And that makes him look bad at this point. He just needs to do what's best for his team, and that may be moving out, um, you know, a, a defenseman. You know, Edmonton has a lot of young defensemen, up-and-coming defensemen coming up. You know, Ethan Bear, Evan Bouchard, um, Caleb Jones, uh, you know, Oscar Clefbaum is still a really good defenseman. You know, they've got quite a few guys that they've got over there, so they may be looking to dish off the player, which is why Adam Larson keeps coming up. Um, and, you know, Kenny Holland with absolutely no ties to Larson, he just looks at it as, 
okay, I'm willing to move out one of my, uh, you know, move out so- uh, someone from a position of strength, which is, you know, uh, a right shot defense, defensive defenseman, and try and move him out and bring in a, a good, speedy middle six winger. And that's what would happen with, with both Kapanen or Janssen. So we'll see if anything comes about. Probably not because, you know, all these trades always are just talk, um, you know, all smoke. Rarely is there fire, I suppose. Uh, but still a lot of fun to talk about. Um, and we'll be doing a lot more trade fodder chatter as we progress through the offseason. I can guarantee you that one. Um, but that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You could subscribe to Lockdown Leafs Podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnLeafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. And if you want some more hockey talk, be sure to check out the Locked On NHL podcast where myself and four other Locked On hosts discuss the latest breaking news around the NHL. NHL each and every day. As for this show, I'll be back with another one for you tomorrow. And keep in mind, that's going to be the prospect and GM grading show where we're going to bring in Dauber Prospects on Tony Ferrari to tell us all about our Maple Leafs prospects. Uh, so we'll get the experts to weigh in on that. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.